Welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking. So today I have for you an interview slash discussion with the host of the Good Trouble show, Matt Ford. How are you doing today, sir? I'm very well, Frank. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, really excited to be here. I've been a, a fan of your work for quite some time. You're, you're uh, one of my regular subscriptions on Apple Podcasts. Oh, thanks a lot, man. Uh, I really appreciate that. And it's it's always bizarre to hear that anybody listens to the show. You know, it's like I'm in my little spare room in my house and it feels like I'm just talking to the wall a lot of the time. So when anyone <laughs> listens, that's a really nice thing to hear, especially somebody like yourself who, you know, obviously listen to your show as well. And Thank um, you. You know, a big fan of what you do. So that's that's great to hear. Thank you so much. So I first heard about you and your show from seeing you basically pop up on on ufo twitter here and there and recently you've kind of you know really established yourself as a great source for reasonable and and rational discussion on the ufo topic so with regards to you know your show and and your interest in in the topic i'd love to hear a bit about how it all came about for you you know obviously your show deals with politics and current affairs and things as well as ufos so how did you get into the ufo side of things well it was um you know really the way we the way we started our 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 main account which uh, which was a political action committee stand for better we were primarily focused on political messaging we were i would say either the third or fourth largest producer of political films uh, fi- uh, pr- uh, promoting Democrats and, and fighting uh, former President Trump. And, and that was our main focus. I knew at, at some point I wanted, I, I figured at one point Trump would go away and was also sort of tired of uh, talking about him and wanted to sort of diversify. So, all, so I wasn't just talking about politics all the time because obviously that can get old and, and frustrating. So we, uh, I decided to, to uh, kind of have a, a, a sort of a hybrid version of a late night talk show. Actually, I worked on Jimmy Kimmel Live for the first five years. I, I work as a, as a professional in the television, uh, television business here in Los Angeles. So it was a format that I was very familiar with, and I wanted to do something that was more of a, a, a hybrid between a commentary and then interviewing interesting guests, and we've we've had people uh, uh, people running for Congress. Uh, we've had political activists, and um, the UFO thing just it just kind of I don't know. It's it sort of it was just like I, I thought that it was an interesting topic back when I, so I was around nine years old when Close Encounters of the of the third kind aired. And so it had always been a, a subject, a, a, a subject that was you know very interesting to me, but I really kind of lost interest. I would say, Oh, probably, you know, probably around high school and never really revisited it um, until much later. And what really sort of got me back on track uh, rewinding a bit, I've, I've studied U.S. and Russian nuclear policy for really since like the early 90s. So I'm very familiar with that end of things in terms of the weapon systems, policy, um, th- that sort of thing. And I came across Robert Hastings' book, UFOs and Nukes. And I believe it, I don't remember exactly when he released it, but but that really perked my interest in the, in the UA, UAP topic. So Right around the time that I was wanting to transition away from messaging on Trump and and trying to do other things, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, it'd be interesting to to uh, you know to look into this UAP thing. And if I remember correctly, that was it was before the first uh, before I think it was before the or right after the UAP task force report. I think I, I'm bad about remembering uh, bad about remembering dates. Uh, Anyway, so I started. I began to tr- uh, track the topic, um, and decided, you know, I want to write an op-ed about this. So I reached out to the debrief, and 
said, hey, you know, I'd like to write an article regarding uh, the nuclear aspect of UAP encounters. And it was around that time that that I had reached out to Robert Hastings, who, of course, wrote that book. And we ended up hitting it off really well and you know, spent hours, you know, hours and hours chatting with him and inter- interviewing him and getting getting some background. And and so I put I, I made that op ed for the debrief, which essentially the the point of the of, of the of the op ed was that the, the really one of the key reasons the Air Force has been absent from the conversation is the long history of of UAP interfering with our land-based strategic nuclear deterrent. And for the Air Force to come out and say that one leg of our nuclear triad has been tampered or disabled with on many occasions, that would be a really big uh, admission. So that was my sort of first uh, uh, entry into that. And I also, right around that time, and I think our accounts stand for better, uh, and this is before the Good Trouble Show. Right around that time, I decided to to do a uh, a poll, and I would say our account was right around fifty thousand, somewhere around then. And you have to understand our the people that uh, that that follow us are primarily the, that are not uh, UFO related are primarily politically active Democrats. And I ran a poll asking who who would be interested in learning more about the UAP topic. And it was only half. And that's when I found out that at least here in the US, the U, the UFO UAP topic, or however you like to, to call it, tracks or tests well mostly with Republicans and not Democrats. So I decided at that point that this was an important enough topic that I would use my social media influence to change the conversation uh, with people on the left side of the aisle that don't track this subject or are very, very skeptical of it. And it really began really began there. And the Good Trouble Show was born, I think, shortly after that. And um, yeah, and, and, and much in the spirit of wanting to diversify, that was when we, in addition to having political activists or people running for office, we decided to have uh, folks in the political, I'm sorry, in the UAP realm uh, make an appearance on our show to, to talk about their experience. Uh, and then also as well, being well-known in democratic circles, as far as producing content, supporting them, that opened a cons- uh, a considerable amount of doors as far as having access to people in Washington. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a, uh, a member of uh, a few uh, political influencer groups on the democratic side. So that really helped in terms of access to various people on the Hill um, and to a lesser extent access and developing relationships with people in the Department of Defense and the intelligence community. So a very long winded answer, but that's kind of, that's kind no, of how I got there. Yeah. That, that's really cool, man. That, that sort of filled in a lot of the gaps for me. You know, I, I had no idea that you you wrote that article for the debrief, for example, I probably read that and I had no idea it was you. <laughs> so, yeah, it's re- re- really cool to um, to hear all the gaps being filled in there. And like you say, it's quite interesting, really, because you're quite uniquely placed. You know, you've got your, your foot in the kind of the politics world and, and obviously the, the UAP topic now as well. And does that give you a bit of that, that crossover to be able to reach out into the, the political world and your, your pool of contacts kind of thing and, and, and find things out? How have you found that side of things? For sure. I mean, that is that has definitely helped. Right now, we have sort of a, I would say, combined uh, social media following on Twitter of around 90,000 followers between Good Trouble and, and Stand for Better. And we do know that people on the Hill track what we do. Uh, oftentimes, when we've post, posted something related to the UAP topic, uh, we've gotten feedback from our contacts there that this this caused a buzz and with these staffers and, and whatnot. So we, it, it's something that we, we feel very strongly about. The UAP phenomenon is absolutely real. Um, it's a, some kind of non-human intelligence. Uh, and what was interesting is, is following, so prior to this, uh, I'd never had any sort of UAP experience, absolutely nothing, nothing weird, 
uh, no high strangeness or whatever. And it was shortly after I began communicating with uh, Robert Hastings that that there was one night, and I haven't shared this full story. One night, my wife and I are are outside, uh, and um, it's probably about nine o'clock in in the evening, I would say. So the sun had already set, um, and no, actually, it's probably closer to eight. And we're sitting there talking. I'm facing one way, and and she's facing the other. And all of a sudden, she goes, "What is that?" And I turn around and look up in the sky, and it's this orb of light that was, you know, probably about the size of like a, a Mini Cooper or something like that. It was about 200 feet off the ground. And when I first saw it, I actually thought it was a, a helicopter landing light. I do have an aviation background and also my uh, experience as a director of photography in, in the television business. I know cameras. I know I know the quality of light. I know what I can tell you what the color temperature is just by looking at it. And, and it, it was about 200 feet off the ground and tracking right towards us on a direct line north to south. And all of a sudden it faded out after being in view for about, I say, in my view, about two, two seconds. Then about seven seconds later, it reappeared closer to us and it was fading in and out. Literally, like the only way I could describe it would be like a firefly. But the intensity of it, it was as bright as the sun. Uh, it, but it didn't hurt your eyes. There was absolutely no noise. So it faded in and out as it was tracking towards us about for, I would say, three or four cycles. And then it, it was almost like it appeared to turn because we sort of, kind of like when you get flared with a, a flashlight. Uh, we weren't like blinded, but it appeared to do that. And then it slowly started climbing. And as it climbed, it became it decreased in size uh, until it, was around the size of what you would say like Venus or some sort of planet. And it was next to two other light points that we thought were stars. And then all three moved off in the distance. And that happened. So that's happened on five separate occasions above, above my house. Uh, some at varying altitudes, the, the last one, the last time it showed up, which was, I would say maybe a month and a half ago, two months. Uh, I would guess it was, probably around seven to 8,000 feet up. Um, knowing aviation, I know what is air traffic, what's satellite and what's not. And it's it's been unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, I also had uh, some high strangeness begin in the house, things move, things get knocked over. Um, so I, I tell Robert, and I, I speak to Robert Hastings uh, pretty regularly, that that I blame it on him, and I because I, <laughs> I, I uh, for sure believe in the hitchhiker effect because as I mentioned, nothing had ever happened prior to that. Uh, so uh, so yeah, I'm I'm a that's the extent of what has happened. I don't care for anything else to happen, um, but I do know it's real because I've seen it with my own eyes. Yeah, that that's really interesting, man. And and like you say, the the movements that you describe there, it sounds pretty unambiguous. You know, it doesn't sound like something that could have just been a, the the ISS or something like that. It's doing some kind of movements that you wouldn't really attribute to a you know a plane or a satellite or anything like that. Well, the thing to keep in mind, the, the one I I would say the first and third time it was only about two hundred feet up off the ground and less than a quarter quarter of a mile when it initially appeared. And then when it began climbing, it was right next to our house. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've seen satellites, airplanes, the whole nine yards. It was not, like nothing I had ever seen in my life. And uh, I think if it had just been one occasion, I would attribute it to being coincidental or, you know, maybe I imagined it, but because it's happened five separate times, um, and I wasn't the only witness to it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think if anything, it's, it's compelled me even more to message on this topic because I do think that this is a reality that we as a species will need to confront. Um, I think, uh, I can say with confidence and some significant things will likely be happening soon. And this comes from multiple sources, um, you know, some sources that are in the government or I'm sorry, in, in IC and other areas of the government. Um, 
So I, I think that is part of the reason why we think it is really important to message this, and especially to our following that is very skeptical of, uh, of this topic. Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, something that I've said quite a lot on the podcast is, is whether you're, uh, you know, like a skeptic in terms of things, you know, that, are, that you can point to that have got absolutely clear proof or whether you've had experiences of your own and you're, you're therefore sort of on the other end of that spectrum. I, I think it's, it's a good thing for humanity to grapple with anyway, regardless of where you sit on that spectrum, because surely at some point in humanity's history, we are going to come face to face with something that is, uh, you know, a, a non-human form of, of life. And obviously, you know, I, I've stated my kind of opinion on this. I believe that we're, we're already being interacted with, uh, you know, by some kind of non-human life of, of some type. But even for those who don't believe that that's the case right now, it could well happen and it could happen any day. So these are conversations that I think are, are really important to have to prepare the ground for that. And you mentioned about the the things that are being discussed on the grapevine. This is something that I think people hear a lot and can be a bit jaded by in this topic. You know, there's something big's coming thing and all the rest of it. And, you know, I've, I've been doing the podcast for, for two years and I can safely say that I don't think there's been this many strong indications with a clear timeline of when those things are going to happen. I haven't experienced this level of, of that kind of thing until now. And now it's there's so many things pointing towards something happening within the next couple of months that it, it does seem like a, a, a bit of a different kettle of fish, you know. Um, and because there's that, you know, finite time limit on it, if that doesn't play out in two or three months, we'll have the answer, won't we, <laughs> sort of thing. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah, I I, I completely understand the frustration and skepticism. I think with anything related to this subject, or even, or particularly this subject, things can be affected by geopolitics. What you know, what's happening in the world. But I, I, I think in this instance, and a lot of the folks that I that I regularly uh, speak with, many that I consider friends. You know, these are folks that have ex- very, very high. Uh, security clearances. Um, these are not folks that can go around spouting stuff off, even privately, uh, without losing their job. Uh, so, so I, I can say, in my personal opinion, and and you know, there are some days I say to myself, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. But I do think the time frame you're speaking of, speaking of is a reasonable time frame. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the other, you know, the other thing to consider too is the the amount of damage that Sean Kirkpatrick did at the Senate hearing amongst whistleblowers, I think is um is substantial and we speak to many of these whistleblowers. And I think the the net effect of that and the overall feeling that they were not treated with respect or uh, given the level of consideration that they should have been, especially in some of the statements that Dr. Kirkpatrick said, I think that, that the result of that will likely be many of these whistleblowers going to the press uh, over this, because I would say as a generalization that there's probably in my opinion a a very good feeling amongst them that that that's really kind of the next logical step because they do not seem to think that they're getting traction with uh arrow so uh so i think i think between whistleblowers possibly coming forward to the press and other things that i can't speak about i i think that it's very, very possible towards the end of the summer, we may be having a totally different conversation. Again, I'll believe it when I see it, but I can tell you that the sources that I speak with who are substantial sources, I place a lot of value in what they say. Yeah, very interesting. And, and, you know, not saying I'm best buds with people in the IC or anything like that, but I, I have my own humble source network that I've built up over the years and, and everything that you're saying there very much tallies 
um, you know, with, with what I'm hearing. And I think mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that before I dig myself into a hole. <laughs> we'll, we'll... Well, you know, and, and the other thing you have to, you have to, you know, so, you know, obviously I'm not the only one people speak with and, and, you know, you are hearing the same thing from, you know, people like yourself and, um, uh, uh, Fox and others, um, James Fox. So when you look at the totality of the data, I believe it points in that direction. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting few months ahead, eh? We'll see I, think, it... I think so, for sure. Yeah. So um, moving on to um, Dr. Sean, uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, I think we'll get straight into that since uh, you, you'd mentioned it there. So you're known to be quite a, a sharp-dressed individual, Matt, something I do appreciate. Why, and, thank you. And, except, for, except for today. So. Well, that's all right. It's audio only today, so I, I've got the hoodie on as well. We're all Excellent. dressed for all right. comfort. But um, I do have to say, Sean Kirkpatrick, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, director of the Arrow office, was also very sharply dressed at their recent hearing uh, and a bit of an impeccable combination of a tie and pocket square, which I did, did enjoy. Can't well, don't, wrong for, with... don't forget the, the, the tie chain. Yeah. I didn't, you I didn't notice see... the tie chain. What's, oh what's man. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you gotta look that up. I, I, perhaps on the good trouble show, we'll, we'll sell some swag. It'll be the Kirkpatrick, uh, tie, uh, tie, tie chain, uh, handkerchief uh, combination. I think it's, I think it's going to sell great. Yeah, I think I'll probably buy one. So uh, <laughs> let's let's get that going. But you, you can't go wrong with a, a, a crisp, well-fitting suit with the right pop of colour. So fair play Absolutely. to Dr. Kirkpatrick for that. However, that's basically where my praise of him ends in terms of his performance at the hearing, I'm afraid. Um, I wasn't so convinced that we have an, an ally of transparency with Dr. Kirkpatrick before the hearing. And I'm sort of, you know, even more convinced of that uh, now more than ever, really, I think. And I thought we'd just go through a few of the, the sort of pros and cons of how it all went and it'd be great to get your thoughts on that. So right. re- reason number one I wasn't convinced and I'm still not is that Lou Elizondo had, had been quite wary, I think, when asked about uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick. And do you think perhaps folks are being a bit too optimistic with Dr. Kirkpatrick since, you know, one of the most prominent insiders who has come out in the last you know, a few decades, really, in Lou Elizondo, it, it seemed a little bit wary of him when he's been asked about him in the past. I would say that uh, what Lou, Lou Elizondo expressed, that comports with what I've heard from other people. Yeah. I mean, he certainly didn't say anything negative about him, but it was more a case of, oh, well, we'll we'll see how that plays out, you know, that kind of thing. And... um We've not really seen it fully play out yet at this point in time, but I don't think there's reason for, you know, boundless optimism at this stage. Put it that way. I, I think. I think. So I, I, I've often been on the fence. I've often been very, very uh, critical. Um, I think a few things are at play. You, there, it's, it's will be politically necessary to establish credibility with Arrow among people on Capitol Hill. So, for instance, in the interview that I did with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, there was a good good emphasis on Chinese balloons, other intelligence gathering assets, and that's something that we need to look at. My personal feeling, and this is purely an, an, an opinion, is that there are likely a lot of folks in Congress that do not track this subject uh, and if if she were to come out right off right out of the gate and say, you know, we think that there's some kind of non-human intelligence operating vehicles in our restricted airspace, the reaction from many would, especially on the opposite end of the aisle, would, and probably many on the Democratic side, would be just shock and and you know what what are you doing you know we're about to default on our debt in a in in uh in june and here you are spending money on flying saucers uh, or in, uh, looking into flying saucers and again this would be coming from the camp that that doesn't track this subject or or has not been been read into anything on that so i think it's it's smart in the long run that her and other politicians approach this at least initially from the national security land, the security lands. 
clearly there are things flying around in our skies that that are prosaic. They're intelligence uh, collecting uh, mechanisms, um, vehicles, and and we have to we have to you know look into that. Uh, so you know, so I think to you know to a certain extent, it has to be approached from a national security lens, such that that there is appropriate funding for Aero, uh, et cetera. The second thing is that there appears, you have to keep in mind, Lou Elizondo said this as well, that the, the OUSD, Office of Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, has been one of the primary perpetrators of administrative terrorism on this subject uh, in obfuscation, in uh, retaliation and other things. Uh, of course, this, this department is led by Ronald Moultrie, uh, who I am very skeptical of, of his motives. So, you know, on one end of the spectrum, if Dr. Kirkpatrick is not being given the authority, Title 50 authority or um, proper funding or approval on a website, then it's of course going to be very difficult for him to do his job. So there's that aspect of it. Then finally, there's the aspect uh, or the you know, sort of the third thought about this is that, you know, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, he, he is a director of a DOD program. He is a uh, GS, I'm not sure what his level, he's, I think he's around the equivalent, the civilian equivalent of a two or three star general. When you're that level, and you're being asked to head a program whose primary or one of their primary purposes is for people to come forward and give testimony, and it takes you, you know, over a year to even get a a a draft of a website up for approval by by OUSDINS. I'm very skeptical about that. You know, to me. It, you know, if, if you're a two, three-star general with that kind of power, you would be able to pick up the phone and within three months have some form of, of website. Uh, now, of course, I don't have visibility into any of that. So uh, there's the other voice in my head that says, well, you need to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I'm skeptical of his leadership uh, and and the, the things that Arrow was tasked with if this were done in, if Arrow were in the private sector, most of those directives would have been taken care of. It just boggles my mind that it has taken this long to get such a little distance with Arrow. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of, you know, frustratingly, some of what came out at, at the hearing was that the office hasn't really kind of found its feet yet. It's still kind of getting off the ground. And, you know, I, I wonder, has, has, you know, where where's the line here? Has Kirkpatrick been really pushing for all the things that Arrow needs in terms of, you know, funding, resources and staffing and all the rest of it and just hasn't been able to get the funds because he's being stonewalled? Or is there a bit of a a dragging of the feet from Kirkpatrick, you know, where does the, it's very difficult to sort of penetrate the, you know, the, the curtain of, of secrecy in terms of what's going on behind that, isn't it? It is. And, and so much of this is conjecture and opinion and just looking at, at, of course, at the performance and trying to figure out what's, what's going on. I, I'm just, it, it, to me, someone of that rank having this big a difficulty in achieving basic functionality is either a failure of leadership or it's due to outright obfuscation by OUSDINS. Uh, or it could be all three. Or I, it's, I just don't know. I've never met the man. Um, again, I'm trying to give him a, the benefit of the doubt. The where I believe that his testimony, well, you know, a you know, if you look at the the surface level of of the testimony, he he did not look like he wanted to be there. Uh, mm. I thought a, I thought a couple of his comments to Senator Gillibrand um, were a bit snarky and out of line, and speaking to a United States uh, senator. 
Um, and, and then the, I don't have the exact uh, quote, but essentially where he said there is, there's no clear, there's no evidence of, of extraterrestrial or I forgot how, do you remember how he put it? What was yeah, it? Funnily enough, I've, I've got that here in my notes. So uh, it's Arrow has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity, off-world technology or objects that defy the known laws of physics. So if he, I, I'm, I am wildly skeptical of that statement for one, because I know of some of the whistleblowers that, that testified directly to his office. So how he can construe that, I'm not really sure. And I, I don't want to get into too much detail on that and dig a hole for myself as well. But if, if, if you consider that the number of, of people that were coming in and, and testifying either you know, over secure uh, you know, secure landline connection or, or, or showing up there and, and testifying in a skiff. We were actually one of the first people to, uh, or we were the first uh, to break the news that, that people involved in legacy re- uh, crash retrieval programs had been testifying. And this, I believe, was, was back in, in February. So if you consider that the people that are testifying held at least a top secret clearance, had worn the uniform, Serve their country with distinction and honor, and have absolutely no. There's nothing in it for them to lie or any of that. And to be honest, there's there's really kind of nothing in it for them to even testify. Um, if anything, they're jeopardizing their careers and uh, their safety, um, their you know their livelihood. So you know, so you you look at. You look at it from the question of well, what is really in it for these whistleblowers, and at the end of the day, there is nothing of personal benefit to them. So these people are doing doing it out of duty to their country. So people coming in that are holding holding the, or have held high clearances that have had these experiences. And we're also talking about people as well that, uh, you know, former nuclear launch control officers that had a TS clearance that, that were responsible for launching our most destructive weapons on the planet. And they go in and they, 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 they tell Kirkpatrick all of this and nothing really comes out of it. And you can make the argument that you know, these are stories. And you know you don't have hard proof. And many of the many of the nuclear cases through FOIA, and I don't know if this was something John Greenwald discovered or where this came from, but there were documents that backed up these these things. So, but if if you look at the totality of the people that are going to Arrow, that are all relating experiences that are clearly not Chinese uh, balloons or Russian drone, that are behaving in ways that defy physics as we understand it, and objects that are tampering with our strategic nuclear deterrent, to me, that's, when you look at that data set as a whole, that's a, that's very, very strong evidence. So I find Dr. Kirkpatrick's um, response to that, it doesn't add up. Yeah, definitely. I've been talking on the show about, um, you know, Bob Salas and, and Dr. Jacobs and, you know, the the other kind of witnesses to interference with nuclear sites and the, I, I was talking about the the vindication that they must feel finally being able to testify to an official you know government office that's looking into ufos and and then you hear a statement like that and it's a bit of a slap in the face i'm, I'm sure bob salas and, and dr jacobs must have taken it as, as such and yeah it's it's a it's a very confusing one it reminded me a bit of the uh, when the NASA study was announced, and they said before they've even started the study, they were insisting that nothing is out of bounds in terms of a conclusion. But yet they said we don't have any evidence that it's extraterrestrial. It's like, well, why would you say a statement like that at this point, unless you were trying to sort of, you know, seed the ground for a future, you know, conclusion that you were you've already decided that you're going to reach. It does seem. Uh, very odd. And as you say, when you consider the testimony of, of people like Bob Salas, Dr. Jacobs, and all the various other people who, who perhaps names aren't you know, publicly known, 
it doesn't really seem to add up. I keep thinking to myself, imagine if there would there was a, a an office set up to investigate, like let's say, Iranian drone incursions into the United States airspace, and you had people, highly credible people, coming forward and saying, "I saw what appeared to be an Iranian drone over a missile facility." Do you think they would say the same thing? You know, there is no evidence of, of Iranian incursions. They would say, "This looks pretty clear that this is happening. We need to really." plow everything into this and, and try and take it as seriously as possible and that suggests to me that it's the it's the you know the, the continued stigma around the uap topic and, and and perhaps even deeper things there to do with you know uh, conclusions that they they've already decided that they're going to reach i believe that my personal belief is that Many people on Capitol Hill understand this is a non-human intelligence. And if I were in their shoes, I, I think it would, it would be a very daunting task to understand how to unravel a ball of yarn that's been, been rolling for 80 years and how to do it in a constructive way. Um, but it's i'm so so much of it is is puzzling in in how some of the 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 front facing statements but backing up a bit you were you were talking about bob salas and uh you know i interviewed him on on my show uh really kind of in the beginning i think i think actually they were the first uh him and david shindley shindley both former U.S. Air Force Launch Control Officers uh, at a Minuteman Squadron. Uh, you know, they, now I don't believe David is, has testified, but you know, I, these folks, it has got to be incredibly disheartening to them to go in, spend their time uh, talking to Arrow and feel like their testimony was just stuffed in a, in a drawer. And one of the most, I think, important messages on this is that there are whistleblowers that I think are now going to be very, very hesitant to people that, that have significant data to share because of the Kirkpatrick performance are, I would take a pretty good educated guess that they are no there's no longer an incentive for them to come forward and for them the risks to career to their clearances to reputation um it's just not worth it because you know and here's the other thing as well there has been no published that i am an aware i am aware of and have not heard this presented to Whistleblowers, I have, I've not seen any document that specifically lays out the the legal mechanisms of protection, the the legal tools, or you know, very very, you know, you see, you know, you see the, the just the general overall legislation in the NDAA, but you know, what are the specific legal tools that are going to uh, a ensure a person's physical safety. Uh, B uh, ensure that there's no retaliation in terms of, uh, of um, going after someone's clearance or any other sort of form of administrative terrorism. Where are those legal tools, and why are they not published? Um, so, if it were me and I were involved in a legacy crash retrieval program and had data to share or testimony that I would want to, uh, that I would want to make, I, I would be pretty, I'd, I'd really have to think twice about doing it. Yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? To think about how the, the performance that did play out at the hearing could affect things behind the scenes. And, you know, funnily enough, just before we started recording, I was actually having a look at the NDAA and there's a specific bit referring to the secure mechanism that people can come forward and, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and report. There's a specific bit which says, not later than 180 days after the date of the enactment of this act, 
the secretary acting through the head of the office and in, in consultation with the director of national intelligence shall, and then there's an A point, which I'll skip over. And the B point is issue clear public guidance for how to securely access the mechanism for authorised reporting. And technically, they have got a little bit of time left, I think, within that 180 days. But as you say, there has been no clear guidance put forward that I'm aware of so far. And you would think that particularly the folks who have got the most compelling evidence and the ones who have got the most skin in the game in terms of you know involvement and potentially would be susceptible to the most significant consequences if they did come forward they're really going to want everything set in stone before they come forward and even then they're going to want you know once everything's up and running and it's proven to be fit for purpose and it's been clearly communicated that that's the case even then if it was me i would be getting robust legal advice before i actually put my entire life and career and family's uh, you know health and safety on the line i would want everything to be ironclad and then i might think about coming forward and as you say perhaps the the folks that have watched that hearing, if they were kind of waiting for these assurances, they may be considering other options now in terms of how to bring the, you know, the information forward. Uh, for sure, and and I I think they're they're why those specific tools are not legal tools are not published. I, I'm I don't know if that's forthcoming. Um, I, it's it's really kind of hard to do when you don't even have a website. Um, when there is no front-facing communications plan posted on Arrow or when even on your Twitter page that you've had up for some amount of time, there is nothing on there about, hey, uh, contact this email or contact this number and we'll determine whether something needs to happen on a, a classed or unclassed, uh, unclassed line. You're... When you look at it from the outside perspective, it would be like looking at the FBI website. You say you wanted to, to leave a tip uh, for the FBI here in the States. You go to their website and it's blank. And you're looking, you're, okay, well, where's that 1-800 tip line? What is that? When you don't even have that, at just... I, to me, that is just uh, either uh, flat-out incompetence in terms of leadership, or there's something else in play that is tying his his hands behind his back. I just don't understand it. Mm. Yeah, I suppose more will be kind of revealed as as things continue to play out over the next uh, few months, and uh, yeah, one to keep an eye on. But you, you'd mentioned earlier about uh, Senator Julie Brand. Uh, I think. Many in the community, the UFO community, think that uh, Gillibrand is is probably well aware of the the strong evidence of, you know, exotic, intelligently controlled technology, you know, in the skies and potentially even reverse engineering programs and and whatnot. But it perhaps is is kind of waiting for more, you know, strong proof to emerge before sort of showing a hand, as as it were. You you mentioned earlier. This is one of the reasons I was really interested to speak to you. Is that kind of insight into the way that political processes and things play out you think that perhaps senator Gillibrand is quite aware of all of this but is is deliberately kind of playing it cool for the time being for for kind of out of a fear of at a caution for sort of you know um setting things off a little bit too strong to start with and, and perhaps uh negatively affecting progress uh i have no direct knowledge of what she knows um what I would say is that senators like herself that sit on the Senate Armed Services Committee or uh, intelligence committees, they, uh, you know, they are allowed to see certain intelligence product that other people in Congress are not privy to. I would be very surprised if she's not aware. Again, I have no direct knowledge of that. Uh, and I'm certainly not going to put uh, words in her mouth. Uh, what I can tell you is that she's a, a very, very smart woman. Uh, she suffers no fools. And I can tell you that her staff is uh, ex extremely um, competent and well-educated and are very serious uh, about about this uh, this topic. So I I do have confidence in what she is doing. And I also think, too, that... Uh, if it were me, 
and I have no direct knowledge of this, I, I would probably be very careful in how I speak about this. Because as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of folks in Congress that don't track this topic that may have skepticism about it. And at the end of the day, if you need a department like Arrow to exist to quote unquote, get to the bottom of this, um, you don't want to do any, you don't want to get ahead of yourself and do something that could sabotage that effort inadvertently in the long run. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that there definitely is uh, a, a strong aspect of that in, in in Senator Gillibrand's approach. Somewhat understandably, I think, given the the way things are. I uh, you know I think too, and again, I have no information on it. It's just my my feeling. I'm quite I'm quite sure she will run for president one day, and I would be one of the first people uh, to vote, cast my vote uh, for her, uh, and. In the, I think in the UFO Twitter world or whatever, you know, we can all go, oh, you know, why aren't they rolling out the, telling it, you know, rolling out the flying saucer at the press conference or bringing out a, a, a non-human biological entity? But in the real world, this, this I think is a very complicated issue with substantial repercussions in terms of uh, national security. Uh, society in general. I, I mean, it's it's. I, I think it's a really difficult problem to wrap your head around. So I think people in Washington have to be very careful in in how this is discussed and um, and to I think in some way pace it. Uh, now I I believe to my core, that it is high time that the Band-Aid be ripped off. The reason that we are in this in the situation that we are in now is was a decision 80 years ago not to level with the American public. Um, and it's, what is it, the, the saying that uh, it's, it's not so much, uh, uh, you know, the, the transgression, it's, it's the, the cover-up that ends up being, being the worst part of it. It, it, it's going to be time for this to come out. It is time for this to come out. It's been that way for quite some time. And I think if whistleblowers start going public to mainstream press outlets, it will uh, cause a break in the dam that will not be reversible. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, this, this next one's actually a question from uh, Dave. It kind of ties into some of what you were talking about there a little bit. So Dave, I'll say my regular co-host listeners will uh, be familiar with. <laughs> there we go. Uh, shout out Dave. Otherwise occupied tonight. He was hoping to perhaps join us, but he, he ended up being busy. So uh, maybe next time, eh? But Next time, um, Dave. Yeah. I, I'll confess I'm not as politi politically savvy as Dave and I had to Google this term, so cheers for that, Dave. Um, but for anyone like me who hadn't heard of this, the Overton window is uh, the sort of window of political possibility in terms of the range of ideas that the public is willing to consider and accept. Of course, that, that window can you know change quite dramatically over time if you think about issues that were completely taboo in the 50s and 60s, the quite common sense and accepted in this day and age and so on. And it's interesting to think how that applies to the UFO topic, which kind of burst on, onto the scene way back then, as you were kind of alluding to just now, and has, has persisted ever since uh, with kind of rumours about the, the cover-up and whatnot, um, you know, getting more and more advanced as time has gone along. And here we are in 2023 still talking about it. So the kind of main question is, if if there was some kind of reveal about a reverse engineering programme or possession of craft that, that made the existence of a a, a non-human, more technologically advanced civilization made that kind of thing undeniable. What what do you feel like the the Overton window that forms around that would look like? What would those in power feel was acceptable to reveal to the public, and, and what could the public accept at this point in time? That is a very very good question. Uh, it's something that I have certainly pondered and discussed with you know people in government. Um, just out of conversation and sort of uh, you know, batting the idea around, I I am not really sure there. 
you know, because we obviously do so much stuff on Twitter, you know, we track, um, we track what's happening with hashtags and when, when a major event happens, uh, it's, it often, you know, like sadly you'll, there'll be a mass shooting here in the United States, which is, um, uh, just a, a horrible reflection upon the state of our country. Uh, and, and that particular, uh, hashtag will be number one on Twitter. And then two hours later, it'll be something related to some Hollywood star. So you, you often see this sort of short attention span with, uh, with society. And I can really only speak to, to what I've observed here in the U S. So I think to many, it will not be a surprise. Uh, I think to many, it will be, well, is this going to affect whether I can put food on the table or, or take, uh, take my son off to football practice? And if it doesn't, then, they'll, then they will move on or, or, or just go, okay, that's kind of cool. And, and, and that's that. Um, there are going to be people that I think are going to have a very difficult time with it. I, you know, I, have, I have friends that, for instance, uh, uh, have, uh, were air traffic controllers that were very, very educated very, very open-minded, but when it comes to this subject, they don't want to discuss it. And it's not out of coming from a place of skepticism. It's coming from a place that it really makes them feel uncomfortable. The thought that we uh, could very well be the middle of the food chain, which I believe is true. Um, so I think that for a lot of people, that that's going to be a difficult uh, piece uh, piece of the pie to, to, you know, to, to take a bite out of, um, I would imagine that, well, uh, backing up a bit, like, I, I think, I think people are more open to craft flying around. I'll put it this way, craft flying around that, that, um, you know, are not here, you know, they can focus or not from here, they can focus on the nuts and bolts of it. But I, I, I believe when it comes to the question of, well, if these vehicles are flying around in our, tra our training ranges, uh, the next logical question is, well, who or what is flying them? And I think for many, uh, especially when you start getting into the abduction phenomenon, all of that, that is going to be, in my opinion, a very, very difficult um, thing for the public to process. But at on the other end of it, I think it is necessary to have that conversation with the American or with, you know, with the world. I keep saying American, um, you know, as for our friends across the pond as well, everyone. We are a very creative species in terms of protecting ourselves. And let's just say in my neighborhood, uh, there were some serial burglar going around breaking into houses. Um, it's kind of a poor comparison, but, but let's say that were happening in your neighborhood. Would, and the police had had no luck in catching them uh, or identifying who these people are or person is that's, that's doing this. Your local police department, if this were a something that were going on consistently, they would tell you about it. They would have a, a town hall meeting saying, hey, we've got this guy running around. We haven't been able to catch him, but, but uh, this is what we've noticed. These are the um, observables. You, and the purpose of that would be arming the information or arming the public with information about something that they have not had control over so that you as a as uh, a human being or, or a mother or a father uh, or, you know, or or whoever can can take steps and be aware of it to protect your family and and I'm not saying that this is a threat I'm just saying that this is happening and it is the responsibility in my opinion, of the government to make people aware. And then if they give you that data, then it's up to you to decide what you do with that data. 
Um, one of the questions I posed to Senator Gillibrand is what would you say to the gatekeepers that do not want to level with the American public? And one thing I will say, if you go back and you watch my interview with her, you really need to watch it carefully and just read between the lines. I think if you really listen to how things are being carefully phrased, I think it would probably answer your question uh, as to whether she knows that this is a, a non-human intelligence. Um, and again, that's my impression. Her, not her nor her staff ever gave me any data on that. That's just what I've, I've, I've observed. But I think that people need to be leveled with um, it's not, oh, I'm sorry, backing up. Her, her answer to that question was that it's not their, it's not the position, it's, it's not people that are non-elected officials should not be making the decision on whether to level with the American public on the fact that we are being interacted with by non-human intelligence. That is not their right. Um, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's abhorrent in my opinion. And they, it's, it's, it's not their right to tell us or to make a decision on our behalf on whether we should know our place in the universe. That's not their job. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't have put it better myself. And uh, yeah, for, for anybody who's not checked it out, um, should definitely go and listen to uh, Matt's uh, interview with Senator Julie Brand, and uh, yeah, hope there's uh, more of those kind of things to come. And, and hats off to you for to for, to really reaching out and and securing interviews with some of the the most kind of politically active people, you know, in, in the topic who are really who are really kind of pushing the ball forward. Um, you know, great to see you doing that. Well, and, and you know, and the one thing I would say as well, you know, I I've been fortunate just because of my political activism to. Uh, to have access to folks, but you don't need you don't need that to make a difference. You, just simply by calling your representative's office, your senator, your um, uh, you, you know your your congress uh, congressman or woman, calling them up and expressing that this is an important topic to you that has a that has an effect. These people listen to that, so. You don't need to have a show or a podcast or have a senator on your show to make a difference. You yourself can pick up the phone, write an email. Um, you know, people like uh, Katie Howland and others have really, uh, you know, she she's had some some great uh, form letters uh, and instructions on how to message your congressman here in the states. It's important that everyone do that. If if we are asleep at the wheel and continue to bury our heads in the sand and do not exert pressure on our elected officials, nothing will change. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, very, very good advice there. And uh, I, I have to ask you this just before we finish, just one other, other question. Um, who do you think is most likely to be a disclosure president? If we, if we indeed are ever going to see a disclosure president, do you think it would be more likely to be perhaps Biden Trump, if he if he ever did get reelected, or perhaps Senator Gillibrand, if she ever decides to go down that path in the future, I I my personal opinion is none. Uh, I think that it will probably it would probably come out of the um, the legislative branch. I would think. You know, the thing you have to think about is is this is a uh, this is a real political hot potato. The other thing you have to consider too, let's say that that Biden were the person to come out and talk about this, half of the Americans wouldn't believe it because they're Republican. If it were Trump, half of the Americans wouldn't believe it because yes. you know they're Democrats. Good so I, 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 I personally think it would end up coming out of it would it would probably be born out of um, whistleblowers going public and 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 it coming out somehow congressionally i could be completely wrong uh i it's i i you know, i it's just so hard to say and the other thing too i i think that the only way you will convince people it's not going to be via some video um 
And the people with high security clearances that have seen these videos have said to me that if you were to watch them, they, you know, there's nothing really special about them anyway. Uh, and they probably wouldn't change a lot of people's minds. I, the, the, the way, the only way that you're going to get people, the only way you're going to create such ontological shock is if there is some kind of show and tell. And, and that would be a craft that we possess or some kind of physical show and tell. I think any other way people are going to say, oh, it's CGI or some kind of psychological operation, that's, that would be my advice uh, if they wanted to just rip the Band-Aid off, say, this is what's going on. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. Uh, there are certain aspects of it we can't tell you about for national security reasons. And I, I believe that there are probably many and rightly so. Um, but yeah, man, I just, uh, I, it's, uh, I, I think that's going to be how it's going to come out, but I could be completely wrong. Yeah. I think you're probably pretty much on the money there. I, th- I tend to think the same. I mean, if you wanted to avoid kind of panic and disruption, you probably wouldn't go down the route of getting a president up there on a podium and just to to rip the bandaid off that way. Um, I, I would suggest that's probably, you know, probably not going to happen. But as you say, you know, leaks, things like that. If you look at the pattern over the last, uh, I guess, like the last five six years ish, it, it's it's often been pressure from activism leaks, things like that, which have put pressure on those on the inside to to verify and admit, oh yeah, okay, that was actually a, you know, a video that, that we had collected and things like that. So I can anticipate it kind of progressing like that over the over the course of the well coming months potentially, depending on what ends up happening. Um, you know? You know, if 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 I if I were a betting man and I were sitting in the legislative branch or even the executive branch, there's part of me that would think the best way to do it would be to see what comes out in terms of whistleblowers and then react to it. Uh, so let's say that something comes from a whistleblower that is interesting but not explosive. Um, you know, you can, you and the, if you're in the executive or legislative branch, you could then um, sort of uh, meet, meter, meter, M-E-T-E-R, meter your response according to what came out. Um, that may be one way that they're looking at it. So wait and see, wait and see what really comes out, uh, who comes out, uh, and then react to it. The problem with that is that there, at least in the United States, there is such skeptic- skepticism about government and uh, all the stuff with the deep state on the on the MAGA side. Um, it's, it's, it's just going to be, if, if, if they, if, if they let the, if they let their response be dictated by the narrative by whistleblowers or, or someone else, they're really just adding fuel to the skepticism of, of government and feeling that at least in the United States, large parts of our government are, are, are incompetent or whatnot. You're just adding to that message, and certainly uh, the people, you know, the MAGA folks that, uh, you know, Trump and whatnot that have spoken about the deep state, you know, when it comes out that all of this has been hidden, that's going to certainly add to their, uh, you know, their position. So I I think that the the government needs to not take their time with this and be ahead of the power curve, not behind it. The, the, the second and third order negative consequences of being behind the power curve and just being reactive, I think, are not, I think is not in our government's best interest. interest. They should be ahead of it um, and not let it be dictated by uh, whistleblowers. I think that would be the best thing for the country and the best thing for them. Yeah, well, I think uh, on on that note, um, we'll we'll have to wrap up. What a, what a great conversation, man! It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. I don't know if you've got your um, social media handles uh, that you want to just quickly inform the listeners about before we go. Uh, sure. Yeah. So uh, our our Twitter is uh, uh, at goodtroubleshow.com. dot com. 
And then our YouTube, and I'm actually having to look it up right now. I'm horrible about remembering, uh, remembering <laughs> all this right. stuff. Uh, our YouTube is at The Good Trouble Show. We post everything natively for the most part on YouTube. So uh, follow us there. Uh, you know, I think we're sitting at only around 3,000 subscribers. Uh, we are trying, you know, the more we grow, the more that we can have a, a net positive effect on this topic. The more we grow, the more people in Washington notice and pay attention to what we're doing. So, yeah, we would appreciate appreciate a, a subscribe. And um, and Frank, yeah, man, thanks. Thanks for having having uh, having me on We're we are. We've been fans of your work for a, a very long time. You're doing really great work. I think the thoughtfulness and in, in, in the analysis that you guys do is just phenomenal. And you're an asset to this cause. Uh, and that would be an understatement. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate you making me blush. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there then. But yeah, thanks again. Absolute pleasure. And uh, thank yeah, you. Do it again sometime. Excellent. Thanks for having us on. UFO Thinker Podcast.